You probably noticed that there was uh, quite a few young uh, children here this morning and they went out for children's church. They're going to be coming back after the message to uh, uh, sing a song for us. And uh, when they do, they're going to capture our attention, as uh, little kids like to do. And sometimes we're just enamored by them because of the way that they present things. You know, they kind of say it the way they see it. I uh, was reminded uh, of a few weeks ago when I was doing children's church and the, the, some of the little kids were telling me about the pets that they have. And you know, one little girl said, uh, well, I have a, a dog and a cat. And another little girl said, well, I have two cats. And then a little boy says, I have four sisters. <laughs> and that uh, just got, reminded me of a, of a letter that a pastor got from one of the uh, little kids in his church that said, uh, Dear Pastor, I know God loves everyone, but I don't think he's met my sister yet. <laughs> but kids have a way of saying things, you know, and uh, kind of being very honest and right out there with it. Uh, the other day I was having trouble uh, with our TV and getting the cable signal, and so I was futzing around trying to get it back, and then my nine-year-old goes, well, I'm just going to have to wait till Mom gets home to get it fixed. <laughs> Sometimes uh, kids will say things right on. They say it the way they see it. And sometimes they're right. And sometimes they're wrong, like with me and the cable thing. I was wrong. <laughs> but sometimes they have a way even of teaching us adults. And today we're going to focus on an event that's connected with Palm Sunday, and it's the children. The children that Jesus calls our attention to and what they were saying. It's part of our series of messages this year entitled, Real People from the Bible, and their real lives teaching us about our real God. So let's take a listen to the children in the temple, as Matthew records it for us, and they teach us about the heart of worship. Matthew records it for us like this. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. Jesus was telling us, listen to the children, because they're teaching you about the heart of worship. Christians are known as worshiping, church-going people. It's good for us to listen in on these children and, and learn two key things about worship, about faith and praise. You know, it was just one simple statement that those children were making that day, but that statement was an expression of their faith. What they were saying was just being honest to God about what was in their heart. That phrase was, Hosanna to the Son of David. And with that, they were making a profession about Jesus. They were telling us what they believed about him as regard to who he was, his person. Now, they had just seen him heal the lame and the blind. 
But they knew more than that. And that's why they called him the son of David. Now, it was that particular term that really upset the religious leaders. Because to call Jesus the son of David just wasn't the way they pictured things should be. That wasn't the way you worshipped God, calling Jesus the son of David. Now, what was up with that? Well, it was more, that title, son of David, was more than just acknowledging that Jesus was an ancestor of their greatest king, David. Because there were a lot of people who would have been ancestors of David, or, or descendants, rather, of David. There was something else behind that title. The son of David was a special title reserved for the Messiah, the promised Savior, the one they were looking for to come to rule over them. In fact, that was a title that meant it was the Son of God. Because as the scriptures pointed out, this one who would come to rule, it would be an eternal rule. And that meant he was God. That's what the children were acknowledging. And that's what those religious leaders were so indignant about. But as they're making their profession of who Jesus is, they were also telling us, why he had come, what he was going to do, his purpose. And that was found in that little word, Hosanna, which meant, Lord, save us. Now, the religious leaders were looking for a king, somebody to rule and set up their earthly kingdom when they recognized Jesus was not it. They wanted nothing to do with him. But yet the children were telling us, no, he is the Savior. He is coming to set up a kingdom, not on this earth, but a kingdom that's in our hearts. One that will rule over the lives of all his people. That's exactly what Jesus came to do that week. To save us. Now, we call that week and this week, Holy Week. We probably call it that because it's focused on those particular events that Jesus did to save us. And so, Jesus is holy, so we call it Holy Week. But there's a little more behind that. This is Holy Week because this is the week, these are the events that Jesus did to make all sinners holy. This is when Jesus would take upon himself the guilt of every sinner in this world. All of our guilt, all of the sins that we have committed, Jesus would take that upon himself and put himself under the wrath of God for them so that you and I would be free from that wrath, that we would never never experience the punishment of God. Because all that guilt was put on Jesus instead. And that's what has made us holy in God's sight. Of course, we we look forward to the end of this week coming up, and, and that is Easter, when we can celebrate the resurrection of our Lord from the dead that day that we are reminded that he indeed took care of the punishment for our sins. He has broken the chain of death. We will live forever as he does. It assures us that we are right with God. We are holy in his sight. That's what it means when they were making this profession of faith about Jesus. Of course, once you acknowledge that somebody has come to save you, you're saying something about yourself. 
And so behind the heart of worship is also a confession about who we are. When they acknowledge that Jesus is their Savior, they're acknowledging they're sinful. Now that doesn't just come naturally. Uh, That we're sinful, yes, but that we acknowledge it, no. Just think about it, because what do we like to do with our sins? We like to deny it. We like to ignore it. We like to justify or excuse it, explain it away somehow, and just be done with it. We don't like to be told we're wrong. In fact, sometimes people say, be careful what you say to others. Don't offend them. Don't, Don't make them feel bad about things. But the honest truth is we are sinful and in need of a Savior. Look at it. Would you want your doctor to withhold from you important medical information that could save your life? Then don't we also want to know about our condition spiritually? We call that repentance. When we acknowledge before God that we are sinful and that we need forgiveness. The Apostle Peter explained what happens when we do that in the book of Acts. He said, Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now who doesn't want times of refreshing? Who doesn't want to be blessed by God and have our sins removed? That happens when we repent, when we acknowledge it before God and know that we have to be lined up with him and are in Jesus. As we confess that we're sinful, we are also acknowledging that we're helpless. There's nothing we can do on our own to save ourselves. That's why we need a Savior. If we could get out of this mess, we'd find a way to do it. And sometimes people look for ways to do it. But you can't. You need God's help. Because sin renders us totally powerless. Not only to save ourselves, but even to recognize that we need to be saved by somebody else. And want to be saved by him. That was clear from these religious leaders that day. They didn't want to acknowledge Jesus as their Savior because they thought they had it all figured out. It was through their obedience, through the system of laws that they created to help them be more faithful to God. That's what they saw as their way to be right with God. And sometimes we might think that too. We might think there are things that we can do to to show that we can be right with God. But we'll admit, right, we'll admit we're not perfect at it. But we're good. We're we're good enough, right? Well, how good is good enough? Who decides? Who sets that standard? It's God. And the standard he set was be perfect. And so it is. We learn from the children that the only way we can be perfect is to pray, Hosanna, Lord, save us. Well, let's stop for a moment and just reflect on our own worship. As I said, the children, you know, say it as they see it. Well, what do you say about your worship? And maybe we should really see, say it this way. What do you see about your worship? Do you come here with hearts that are honest to God, that are admitting your need for forgiveness, that without him, you cannot get to heaven. 
And then do you acknowledge him as your savior, submitting to his will, to his work of salvation as the only way to be saved? Or, or do you come here because, you know, going to church is the right thing to do and it's a good thing to do and, and maybe it's showing God that, you know, I can be good God. And, and maybe you're thinking, well, I went to church today, so you know, I did something for him, and so he'll do a little something for me later, you know what I mean? Well, what happens when you come to worship with that attitude, but then things don't go well later on? What happens when worship really didn't help you with all the other troubles and things you have in life? Does worship then become worthless or meaningless? Not if you're honest to God. Not if you recognize that he has taken care of your biggest need and therefore will take care of all the other needs. When we recognize that, then we're being honest to God, and that's the good, the true heart of worship. And just as we have recognized that, so we have to lead others to recognize that too. How do you think these children knew how to praise Jesus? They heard it from their parents. They were taught about it. And so it is that we, as parents, need to be mindful of teaching our children about the true heart of worship. And let me say this. I don't care if your kids are this tall or this tall, or mine are getting this tall, or even taller. If you have children, I don't care what age there are, you still need to teach them about the heart of worship. And your grandchildren, too and the people sitting next to you, and the people you work with, and so on and so forth. We need to teach with our example and with the Lord's words to others what the true heart of worship is. I recently uh, read a report that uh, was studying the state of the, the church all over the country, and it was pointing out how churches everywhere are losing the next generation of kids. And I was trying to figure out why. Because so much attention and and energy gets focused in on on the young people. And they pointed out that, you know, it doesn't matter how many games and how much pizza you give them. If you're not giving them Jesus, you're not helping them stay or giving them that true heart for worship. And think how much of the world, by the world they are taught during the week, and how little we teach our kids during the week then about God, and you recognize why we're losing our kids. So parents, make use of the opportunities that are before you to teach your kids about the heart of worship, being honest to God. Uh, there's one more, one more line from a, a child that I can share with you. Kid said, yeah, I, I like going to church. Because I don't have any other choice. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that. You see, when you recognize the goodness of God, there really isn't any other choice that you'll want to make but to worship God, to use it as an expression of your praise, to make it a way in which you honor Him. And that's what those kids were doing. Listen again to the words of Jesus as he comments back to those religious leaders. Jesus replied, yes, have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, Lord, you have called forth your praise. 
And I just want to call your attention to that phrase. You have called forth your praise. God brings that praise out of us. Now, we all want our praise, our worship, to be as best as it can be. We might say we want it to be perfect. And, and so we give a lot of time. People around here give a lot of time to worship, to making the church look nice, to, to all the music, all the rehearsals that they do, the people who plan the services. But sometimes we may look at it and say, oh, it wasn't so good today. You know, the music was a little off, or the sound wasn't working right, or this didn't look right, or whatever. Did that mean that it wasn't perfect praise for God? Who decides when it's perfect? God does. That's what Jesus was telling us. He calls it forth, and that word in the Greek means he perfects it. It simply means he has assigned a purpose behind it. And when our worship meets God's purpose, then it's perfect in his eyes. And what is that perfect? God wants it to be uplifting. God wants worship to be valuable for us. He wants us to be uplifted in our hearts and in our spirit, to have our faith strengthened, to be filled with joy and and comfort and peace, knowing his love. But that's best done when we lift up God. When you lift up him as the God of grace and all his wonderful blessings, then your heart is lifted up as well. So it simply means this then. As an expression of praise to honor God, let's keep our focus centered on Christ. That means we always want a message that tells us Jesus is Lord that he is our Savior, that he is the one who guides us and blesses us throughout this life, leading us to that perfect eternity. Now, please understand, there are many other wonderful teachings in the Scripture about how we should live our lives and how we'll be blessed when we do them. But if they're not connected with Christ, they lose their purpose and they lose their power. So we want to keep everything focused on Jesus. And whatever details we have in our service, we want to make sure they don't detract from Christ, but exalt him. Let me share with you a little story to illustrate that. You're probably familiar with the painting, The Last Supper, by Leonardo da Vinci. Did you know that it took him three years to paint that? Because he wanted everything to be just right, and how he would place the disciples and all the other details. Jesus with his outstretched arms holding that cup of wine. When he was finished, he brought in one of his friends to critique it. And his friend, when he saw it, his mouth just dropped open. And he said, I have never seen a cup more beautiful than that. As soon as da Vinci heard that, he took his brush and painted over that cup and said, nothing will detract from my Christ. That's the heart of worship, when we want everything to focus and exalt our Christ. So let's keep our worship honoring God. In the past few years, we have asked you for evaluations on our ministry, and sometimes of our worship services. And you have responded very kindly and said, Oh, the worship services are great. They're uplifting. The music is wonderful. The, the, the band is great. The messages are good and all those things. And we appreciate that feedback. But you know what? Worship is only as good as your heart is. True worship, 
starts with your heart. Hearts that are focused with faith on Jesus and wanting to honor him. And so let's keep our hearts healthy by getting into that word. Because as we build our hearts on his word, then we'll want to bring that praise out. And as we bring that praise out, that truth about Savior, our Savior, then our hearts are strengthened. And then it leads us to praise even more. You get the picture? Stay focused on Jesus and bring him your true heart of worship. One other little note. This event that we've been talking about today, it didn't happen on Palm Sunday. It happened on Monday, the day after. Don't limit your worship to God with this hour here on Sunday morning. Let your hearts glow with worship through the whole week. And what a week we have this week to do that very thing, to honor God with our hearts and to lift him up with honesty in our faith and praise. That's the heart of worship. Amen.